Good afternoon. I'm Rhonda Feynman, and this is the Healthy Options Program. Our guests today are Lindsay Piper and Marisa Weil from Maine Family Planning. They're here to discuss with us the evolving situation in Maine and nationally in the aftermath of the recent overturning of Roe versus Wade. Lindsay Piper is a nurse practitioner. She specializes in sexual and reproductive health and is the lead clinician for the Center for Reproductive Health of Maine Family Planning. In this role, she provides direct abortion services as well as guidance and training for healthcare providers. Lindsay also see clients in her Belfast clinic and also sees them for gynecological visits, gender affirming hormone treatment, abortions and vasectomy. She's been in this field for over 20 years, working for independent feminist healthcare clinics and also for Planned Parenthood. Our other guest today is Marisa Weil, the Vice President for Development and Community Engagement at Maine Family Planning. Marisa has a master's degree in policy planning and management from the Muskie School of Public Service at the University of Southern Maine. She's worked with Coldley College, the Maine Hospice Council, and Center for End-of-Life Care and the Homeless Services Center in Santa Cruz, California. I want to welcome you both. To Healthy Options, I'm so glad you could be with us today. And, you know, Thank one you, of the- Rhonda. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So I want, we're going to be working on a, a, a number of different fronts here. And how crazy is it? Because I know, uh, Marisa, you are more of a, an expert in legislative issues and, and reproductive health. And we have to have you on a Healthy Options program to talk about legislation and, and government um, issues. Um, when we are also talking about family planning and healthcare. So we're going to get into the details of that and, but just like to, uh, look at the irony or the, um, whatever, uh, <laughs> what, how, how that is ironic and not, uh, exactly what we want to often have to t- deal with here on healthy options. So Lindsay, let's start with you. You are uh, directly in the clinic. Tell us what, mm-hmm. what exactly are you doing through main family planning? And then we'll get into how this decision, um, is playing out in Maine and, and what we're seeing, um, as uh, from across the nation. Sure. Okay. Well, I can just give you an example of what my morning has looked like. So um, I, you know, entered the clinic. I did my morning roundup with my team. We talked about the plan for the clinic today. Um, And then I launched into some admin tasks. I'm creating an agenda for my quarterly abortion provider meeting next week. We're going to be going over emergency drills and some policy changes. I'm writing some new protocols for um, the nurse in our clinic um, to just have some orders, um, signed orders from me. Um, So that's sort of the admin arm. I have also done an abortion this morning and placed an IUD. Um, And then tomorrow um, I will be in my other clinic and I have some um, yearly annual visits. I have a couple of vasectomy consults, um, vasectomy procedures, um, and I did an intrauterine insemination earlier this week. So that's just kind of a smattering of what my weeks look like. um, And it varies between you know, what I'm doing clinically, and then also um, what I'm doing with um, policy and procedure inside of um, our organization. So this is a, uh, that's a typical, a typical a day at the clinic. This day in the life. Yep. <laughs> and and um, so there are a few things that you mentioned that uh, in Maine are, in, uh, what, what is our status here in Maine in terms of uh, the, the SCOTUS decision? Mm-hmm. 
Yep. Abortion is legal in Maine. Um, it's legal and accessible um, in a lot of ways in that um, we can use um, public funding and private funding to um, help pay for abortion services. And we actually sit very well as far as having highly qualified providers across the state of Maine. Um, so our state looks good right now, um, legally and access wise, um, although we are a rural state. Um, and then our organization specifically um, is able to provide services um, as we as we're very branched out throughout our rural state um, with regard to medication abortion delivery. Um, yeah, so we look yeah. good right now legally. Okay. Mm -hmm. And, and Marissa, I want to bring you in on, on this. Uh, tell us what you know, and we do have the Mills administration now. How important is that? What, what, what do you see as your uh, planning? for the future. Well, thank you so much, Rhonda. And again, thank you so much for having us on the program today and the opportunity to talk about this important issue. Uh, we're really grateful to be sharing some time and space with you and your listeners. Um, as Lindsay was just saying, today, abortion remains safe, legal, and accessible in Maine. We do have a midterm election coming up in November that we are watching very closely, and we are encouraging all of our allies, all of our supporters, anyone who cares about reproductive privacy, reproductive autonomy, bodily autonomy, to pay very close attention to the races that are taking place locally in their towns, in their communities, at the state level, and ensuring that they are communicating with candidates and representatives and making sure that they know where these people stand on these important issues. And I want to expand a little bit on what what Lindsay was just saying about the life in the day of a sexual and reproductive health care provider in that this is not just a moment that's about abortion. Our rights overall are on fundamental attack. Um, they, uh, these people are coming out against um, gender affirming care for transgender youth and adults. They're coming for comprehensive sexuality education. They're coming for abortion care. And we have to stand together as a united front and say, no, we are going to hold on to these rights that we have uh, fought hard for and won, and we are going to expand them, and we are not going to give an inch. Thank and you. So, well said. Yes. <laughs> thank you, Lindsay. Um, as she was saying, we have had safe legal abortion in Maine for decades now, and abortion is currently protected in the state by the Reproductive Privacy Act that was introduced in the Maine State House in 1993. It went into effect in 1994. So we're celebrating about 29 years of the Reproductive Privacy Act, um, and that was in response to the 1992 ruling Planned Parenthood versus Casey, which really began the insidious breakdown of access in states in allowing them to enact more trap laws, which are targeted restrictions on abortion providers, um, doing things like requiring hospital admitting privileges for abortion care providers and mandatory waiting periods and ultrasounds. And so when Planned Parenthood versus Casey when, uh, was decided, Maine really stood up and said, as a state, we are not going to allow those types of activities to happen here. And so that is the protection that we have, but it is not codified in our state constitution. And so a legislation like the RPA can be changed in a session. And so again, that's why we're really encouraging people to be active in their communities and talk to their representatives and candidates a lot right now. 
And and Lindsay, let's talk a little bit specifically about what what do we see? You said you did an abortion, you're doing IUDs. The main main family planning is offering a whole series of health, of wellness and health mm-hmm. health services. And let's talk a little bit about what is available in terms of abortion. We I we read about the pill, the uh, medical abortion. We read about other options. Maybe you can explain that to our listeners. Mm-hmm. What exactly is uh, a, the uh, medical abortion what I, mm-hmm. i'm not even getting the term right yeah yeah no, yep. <laughs> sure yep we call it medication abortion um and that is available to our patients who choose that option um, up to 11 weeks right now um, it's a very safe option people will take a pill orally that um, stops pregnancy hormones um, so that effectively stops the pregnancy from continuing and then a second set of medication which can be taken orally or placed vaginally um, in a certain number of hours um, you know based on counseling that we do and that effectively causes the uterus to expel the contents of the uterus um, and A lot of people like this option because they have the autonomy to self-manage their abortion at home, in the privacy of their own home, with the support of their partner or friend or parent. Um, And it's a very, very safe option. And then very minimal follow-up is required unless, um, you know, a patient has a question or an outcome that was unexpected, which is pretty rare. So you you do this regularly do people get the uh, pills from yeah. you or it's several it- times a day yep um it, many of our providers across the state um you know we'll see patients uh, either in person or over a telehealth visit and we do the counseling getting consents and making sure that patients know what it is that they're um to be expecting with this medication abortion at home and then they go to one of our clinics and pick up their medications um And uh, sometimes I need to do an ultrasound um, and sometimes I don't. Um, Most frequently I don't um, need to. And so patients can do this mostly remotely, save for coming to pick up the pill. Um, And so that's the medication option. Now, Lindsay, this is Marisa, and I'm mm -hmm. sorry to interrupt, but I wonder if you could offer a little clarification for Rhonda's listeners about the distinction between emergency contraception and medication abortion. Yeah, that's a great point. Thank you. Yeah. So emergency contraception or the morning after pill um, is a pretty different um, medication and has nothing really to do with the medication abortion. Um, This is a pill that somebody would take within 120 hours of unprotected coitus. And that's the fancy word that we use for um, the type of sex that could make you pregnant. Um, And so easier or more effective, um, even if less than the five days, the 120 hours. But one would take this pill um, if they were nervous about an incident and Um, with the hopes that it would tell the ovary, this is how I explain it to my patients, this pill is going to tell your ovaries not to release an egg quite yet. Um, And so just to put off ovulation. If ovulation has already occurred, then the morning after pill, emergency contraception doesn't do anything to um, interfere with um, fertilization and implantation. So it's not an abortifacient, which is um, sometimes a misconception that people have about emergency contraception. So yeah, I appreciate the opportunity to make that distinction because it is an ongoing question for people. Mm-hmm. Is that is that the plan B? I, I was going to it ask. It is, yeah, that's one of the brands. Plan B's, plan C's. Mm-hmm. So, uh, <laughs> well, it, with all yeah. of this is out there, and what is the yeah. differentiation? So, yes, mm-hmm. so that is a plan B. Plan C is the medication abortion. Would we say that? 
because people you could, hear you this. could call it your plan C. Yes, I think somebody, um, you know, cleverly used that term to describe their the, you know, helping somebody with a medication abortion. So if plan A would have been, you know, some sort of contraception and that didn't work. So plan B would be the morning after pill. And then that didn't work. So then you go to plan C. Yes. Well, it also seems that uh, in cases of incest or rape, you know, that those kinds of options seem very important. And that's what's uh, not available in some states and also at risk. Mm -hmm. So um, would would that be something if you, you know, that that would be prescribed for someone? Well, yeah, situation? I mean, I, well, certainly, I mean, I think anytime somebody um, wants to terminate a pregnancy, regardless of the backstory, um, you know, and, and I think that whatever um, factors somebody's bringing to the table are valid factors. And so, um, you know, I don't necessarily require my parents to, uh, my my patients to share with me their narrative about why they're coming seeking abortion services. Um, because I trust my patients that they know what the right next move for their lives is. Um, And, but yes, of course, I mean, in it, in sort of more sensational cases like that, if somebody wanted to end a pregnancy, that would be a perfect use for that medication. Or also the contraceptive that in, to reduce oh, like the, the morning after pill, the yeah. morning after pill, if yeah, that's so, uh, an option. Right. I mean, and very frequently in sites, like if somebody would go for a forensic exam um, to a hospital after a sexual assault, we have nurse colleagues who are specially trained and that they will, that's part of their regimen is to give the morning after pill um, in cases like that. Mm-hmm. So we have uh, a lot of options here in the great state of Maine that are being limited elsewhere, perhaps. And and are we are we seeing people coming to Maine now since the uh, since the restrictive? Oh, sure. Yeah, we sure have. Yep. Um, We certainly have seen folks um, come to Maine for other times as well. I know that there was a clinic closing um, years ago um, in Fredericton, Canada, and we did see some patients um, come to Maine to utilize our services here. Um, And now in this instance, we are certainly seeing folks coming from states where abortion is no longer legal. And we uh, we have funds, I know that, and we can talk about that uh, to help people um, who are traveling or also help uh, people who need uh, these kinds of services who don't have um, don't have uh, the financial wherewithal for that. Is that something that you could tell us about? Uh, Maybe Marisa, maybe that's a good question for you. Yeah, thank you so much, Rhonda. I want to lift up before I address that. Uh, You mentioned Plan C. And as Lindsay was um, suggesting, there is an organization that I just want to lift up briefly. Mm PlanCPills.org is an excellent, reliable online resource to find information about abortion pills um, all across the country. And they will give you unbiased, accurate information about the status of medication abortion availability in your state, where you can get a safe provider, where you can get abortion pills. So that's plancpills.org. Getting back to abortion funding. Yes, uh, we do have, um, I think it's fair to say that all of the abortion providers, the public abortion providers in our state, which is us, Maine Family Planning, Planned Parenthood of Northern New England down in the southern part of the state, and the Mabel Wadsworth Center in Bangor, uh, we all work with patients and will address their financial barriers um, and try to do everything we can to make sure that 
um, money is not an object in their ability to access needed healthcare. Um, there are a lot of people who um, have difficulty accessing the needed funds for abortion care. Uh, it typically costs around $500 for an abortion. And as we know, that's just not an amount of money that a lot of people have. So in the state of Maine, we do have one active abortion fund that's Safe Maine. Their website is at safemaine.org. And they work with all three of us to make sure that patients can afford the abortions that they need. Uh, they work directly with the clinics and uh, clinic staff to pay for abortion procedures. They have recently expanded to add some additional practical support funding in the form of gift cards for people who have ancillary expenses related to their abortion care that we can dispense to patients as needed. So that's been an amazing um, extra bit of help from SAFE recently. Uh, but they are the only abortion fund that is currently active in our state, and they are all volunteer run at this time. So uh, it's a big job for a large state like Maine. Uh, they're part of the national network of abortion funds. So you can go to abortionfunds.org and you can find over 90 independent abortion funds helping patients and people all over the country. Um, Abortion funds that are active in hostile states right now where abortion is being restricted or banned are dealing with so much um, legislative and policy confusion around what they are able to do. Um, this is an incredibly overwhelming time for abortion funds and clinics, especially in those states. Uh, so we're all working together really closely all the time to do whatever we can to get patients out of state, to get them to places where they can access uh, care. But it's really, it's, it's a work in progress right now as there are so many different laws and policies being introduced and challenged and put into effect on a day-to-day -day basis. So it's a constantly changing landscape right now that a lot of people, many of whom are volunteers and just do this out of the goodness of their heart, are trying to respond to while also responding to, of course, um, an enormous, massive increase in people who are paying attention to this issue, which is wonderful. And we are so grateful for it. But especially when you're talking about smaller abortion funds who are primarily volunteer run, it's been a bit overwhelming for many of them to have this sudden mm -hmm. dramatic influx of people contacting them. Um, so I would just say, for listeners who are interested in getting involved with abortion funds right now or helping clinics is to be patient because everyone wants the help and wants to be in community. But um, for better or worse, this is a new issue for us of having the influx, the dramatic influx of people who want to help. And we love it and are so grateful, but um, it's, it's a bit different for us. So we're also having a, an influx of need, aren't we? Because of uh, it's not just the people of uh, Maine or surrounding countries, <laughs> since Canada is right at our border. By the way, if you have just tuned in, I'm Rhonda Feynman. You're listening to the Healthy Options Program on WERU Community Radio. Our guests today are Lindsay Piper, nurse practitioner and lead con uh, clinician for the Center for Reproductive Health at Maine Family Planning, and Marisa Weil, the Vice President for Development and Community Engagement at Maine Family Planning. And we are talking about healthcare and uh, when it comes to this topic, we also have to talk about legislation. 
So I'm going to ask about the, um, Mar Marisa, tell us about the uh, EMTLA. This is the, uh, it's a national law, isn't it? I'm looking for the, uh, here it is, the mm -hmm. Examination and Treatment for Emergency Medical Conditions and Women in Labor. Tell us, does that help women and, and people who need these services um, in states that are not interested in uh, providing these kinds of services anymore? Is this a protection, a national protection? And how does that affect us here? It is a national protection, Rhonda, but I will say that a lot of healthcare providers, a lot of doctors and advanced practice, practice clinicians are in a very confusing space right now based on their state legislation. So fortunately, because we do have... Um, protected abortion here in Maine through our state legislation. Um, we do not need so much to rely on the EMTLA, uh, but that was something that the Biden administration recently reinforced in their executive action to let providers know across the country that they are to treat patients who are having um, emergency needs and have abortion uh, procedures recommended as a part of um, what they're experiencing. But on the ground, that has looked very chaotic for a lot of providers who are not sure, you know, to be frank, patients are suffering across the country because of this. Patients are waiting longer to receive care. They are assuming more risk than many providers would be comfortable with because providers are not sure. This is a very gray area uh, when the patient's life is in danger. And the just the fact that um, we're expecting in this new world that we need to wait until the patient's life is actually in danger rather than trusting the physician, the provider, and the patient to make the best choice for that patient's life. And on the ground, it has just looked like confusion. And we have seen stories about people who suffer, who are going through miscarriages and are not able to access needed care in a timely fashion to alleviate their suffering. Um, so on the ground, yes, um, the EMTLA does provide some protection, but in practice, it has been um, difficult to rely on that for the states where they're uh, seeing attacks on abortion. And, and so that, and that, that law is to say that, that you are supposed to, as a healthcare person, um, and be able to do emergency care as needed, even if your state is saying, well, I'm sorry, you can't do that procedure anymore, mm -hmm. but it is chaotic. And I want to go back to, to, to Lindsay Piper. Um, let's talk about what some of those things are, what, which you probably see daily, um, as you were describing, mm -hmm. miscarriages, ectopic pregnancies. Tell us about that and what that normal treatment, mm -hmm. life-saving treatment is that's just standard operating procedure that's in, that it, is at risk. Can you give us some more uh, specifics yeah. about that? Yeah, thank you. Um, that's a great question. I'd be happy to address that. Um, so the first thing that stands out to me is um, the terminology that we are leaning towards more in this field with regard to miscarriage um, is early pregnancy loss. Um, I think given that miscarriage sort of um, intimates a, a fault of the person or of the uh, something wrong with the body part, um, like the uterus. And so just as far as, um, because words are powerful, those are, so that's just one um, piece of information. So to manage early pregnancy loss, um, 
oftentimes we will use the same medication regimen as we use for medication abortion. Um, the difference being that the pregnancy is already ending um, and it just is giving the patient um, more autonomy over when they can complete um, this phenomenon. Um, and so rather than waiting for their body to um, expel the um, ended pregnancy tissue, the medication helps it um, end sooner. Um, so, and for many of my patients, um, if they have been trying for a pregnancy, they want to be able to kind of jump back into their um, cycling so that then they can try again um, for a pregnancy that um, continues this time. So that's one in, um, instance that I can think of. But yes, certainly we manage early pregnancy loss all the time. Um, ectopic pregnancy is an occurrence that um, is very rare. It happens less than 1% of the time um, overall in pregnancies. Um, but as we were, you know, raised up as little baby healthcare providers, it is something that we always keep in the forefront of our mind because it can be life-threatening um, if an ectopic pregnancy ruptures. And ectopic meaning it's in the wrong place. So the uterine muscle is designed to grow um, and expand to you know, grow an entire human for 40, not 40 weeks. I was going to, yeah. So, um, yeah, <laughs> 10 uh, months, for, um, for a long time, <laughs> yeah, for a while. Um, and the, um, fallopian tube or the ovary are just not designed in that same way. And so when implantation occurs in an incorrect spot, um, as the pregnancy grows rapidly, those tissues aren't made to grow rapidly along with the pregnancy and then can rupture causing internal bleeding. Um, so it could be a life-threatening condition and certainly um, create a lot of, um, the word we use is morbidity, which means um, long-term illness and um, health conditions that you know, so we like to avoid those things um, by screening people early on um, with important questions about um, their particular ectopic risk. Um, and I think one um, potential um, misconception that I just want to make sure that we address is that the typical medication that we use for medication abortion does not and will not treat ectopic pregnancy. Um, because of the particular hormone receptors in the uterus versus the absence of those in the fallopian tubes and ovaries um, and how the medication works, just the, the pharmacologic um, design of it. But um, having patients come into clinics with healthcare providers that they know and trust and can address these concerns um, is the key. Um, being able to do the exams and the lab work and getting a good history from a patient to make sure that we're ruling out this potential very emergent situation. And then there are medications that can be used, different medications to help treat ectopic pregnancy, um, which are preferred over needing a surgery, although sometimes surgery is what is ended up needing, um, what is indicated. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to make sure that we cleared up that medication abortion pills will not treat ectopic pregnancy. Um, although having somebody in the clinic and screened early on, and sometimes being able to follow through with a medication abortion and then have lab work done as follow-up. And then we see, gosh, that medication abortion didn't work the lab numbers aren't matching up in the way that we assume that they would if we knew that the pregnancy had ended. Now we need to have a little bit more, we need to buckle down and really evaluate this patient for ectopic pregnancy. And so those people are evaluated much more quickly than they would have been had they not engaged with the healthcare system for an abortion in the first place. 
Well, you know, we do have a lot of listeners from all over the country. You know, we are streaming all over the world. So these are really important distinctions, considering that in some places, people are not getting the care that they need um, at, mm-hmm. the, at this time. So, uh, so, and it's also a very good differentiation that that people, if you do have these Medicare medical abortion pills at home, and you're having an ectopic pregnancy, that's you need to get, you need to see a clinician. You need Correct. medical care. This is health care um, yes. required. And um, that's just uh, something to uh, to keep in mind uh, if you're listening, especially in a state where things are restricted now. Tell me, does that, um, and this one, what gets into the confusion that Marisa, that you were talking about, um, about the, whether you're going to get treated or not. Instead of just saying, this is, as a clinical, as a medical professional, this is what this person needs. Instead of that, we have to call our lawyers and see if, if we give this medication, am I going to go to prison? Um, just that's what we're sitting with right now, isn't it? It yeah. is. And Maine Family Planning has been at the forefront of this fight for a long time. Um, just in the last few years, I mean, we made the enormous decision to withdraw from the Title X National Family Planning Program in 2019 when there was a gag rule imposed on the program that restricted providers from being able to fully counsel patients about all of their options surrounding pregnancy and family planning. So what they were saying essentially was that if you receive Title X funding, you will not talk to patients in a directive way about um, options for, you know, terminating a pregnancy. Um, And it was just something that we could not live with. We'd been in the Title X family planning program for 47 years, I think, at that time. Um, And we were not willing to compromise our patient care in that way, nor were we willing to compromise our provider's ability to um, do their job without interference. And so we made the enormous decision to withdraw from the program. Uh, Fortunately, when the Biden administration came uh, on board, they undid that harm. It was one of their first priorities to restore the Title X program. But a lot of damage was done in those years uh, where they were um, imposing the gag rule on the program. A lot of clinics closed. A lot of clinics withdrew from the program. It was a massive hit to our public health infrastructure that we're still recovering from. Um, But we have definitely been uh, solid in our uh, support for both patients and providers in, you know, being able to access unbiased medical care that is, should be between the patient and the provider. And that's always been our standpoint. Yeah. Oh, and I was going to say one thing that comes up for me, and I don't know, I know that um, this may come up um, just um, organically and at another point, but um, one thing that seems very clear to me is that not only are patients um, accessing um, abortion through us, this is the number one place where a lot of our patients are accessing things like contraception or cervical cancer screening or other cancer screenings. And so even healthcare, you know, I know that abortion is quite a hot button issue, but 
to me, cancer screening seems a little bit hard to argue about. And that is something that patients are missing out on by way of having all of these clinics closed, by lack of funding, and um, you know, by having healthcare providers no longer being able to provide sexual and reproductive health in a comprehensive way. And so not only is abortion being restricted, but we're also having restrictions on simple contraception, pap testing, um, you know, even blood pressure screenings. Like if your local family planning clinic is the only place you'll go because you trust your nurse practitioner there, you know, suddenly those patients aren't discovering that they have a hypertension issue or a thyroid issue, or, you know, we could just list any number of things that we see patients for that have nothing to do with whether or not to end a pregnancy. Right. And uh, Lindsay Piper, again, um, there's, um, other aspects that some of these medications are useful for diabetes or rheumatoid inflammatory issues, rheumatoid arthritis mm. and such. Is that similar? I'm thinking of metformin and the different kinds of mm -hmm. medication. Met methotrexate. I'm thinking of methotrexate. Oh, yes. yeah. Methotrexate is a medication that is used for a number of different things, rheumatoid arthritis being one of them, and treating ectopic pregnancy. Um, it's not typically a regimen that we use for ending pregnancies, although it can be used. Um, it's less frequently used. Um, it's a chemotherapeutic drug. Um, so I, when I used to work in oncology as a nurse, I would use that drug for some of my patients as well, um, specifically in gynecologic cancers. Um, but it isn't something... I mean, I would use it to help manage an ectopic pregnancy, you know, um, inside of a, an approved protocol at a clinic where I work, um, but it's not a medication that I typically use on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, but, you know, incidentally, mesoprostol, um, the second medication used for a medication abortion is um, an oft-used um, treatment for ulcers. So it's, um, you know, it's a useful medication to have in your medicine cabinet. Right. So um, and some pharmacies are restricting some of that medication in some different states because of the off chance that you're actually going to use it for something that's now illegal. That's right. I mean, and it's interesting because I use it to help make um, a cervix softer for ease of putting in an IUD. So, I, you know, it's just it's a commonly used gynecologic medication um, yes. that I like to have access to. It makes, you know, procedures easier for my patients. So not only can medication not be available, but as you were saying, the life, just health screenings not be available if, the, if clinics close and if, if you're not there to take care of your patients. You got it. Yeah. So you were talking about the gag order a moment ago, and uh, I've been reading about um, sex ed, sex education, and this idea of, of in some places, restriction of self sex education, it almost seems like another kind of gag order without calling it a gag order. <laughs> but can perhaps as a community outreach and, and as a clinician, you could talk to me and talk to our listeners and explain a little bit more about how important sex education is or uh, what, what the challenges are now and, and how we should move forward with good quality education. Um. Yeah, I mean, I think either one of us could feel that. I, I don't know if you have, you look like you have some thoughtful things bubbling up forward, Marisa. 
Uh, yeah, I was just going to jump right on that, Rhonda, and say, yes, absolutely. Comprehensive sexuality education, as we were saying earlier, is subject to this kind of coordinated attack right now. Um, and really what's behind that is just um, anti-LGBTQ uh, fear and hatred on the part of people. And that's really what's driving a lot of this, like, don't say gay law that we saw passed in Florida. Um, they don't want people to be able to find affirmation in their identities at school. If at home they are being told that, you know, um, no, you can't change your pronouns. No, I'm not going to respect your chosen name, um, you know, or uh, they don't want to see depictions of different family structures, you know, in school and have that normalized. And so that's what's driving a lot of these attacks on comprehensive sexuality education. And it's absolutely infuriating and outrageous because we know that the things that actually um, lower abortion rates, if people are genuine about wanting to lower abortion rates, are things like comprehensive sexuality education, easy, affordable, free access to contraception and sexual health care. And at the same time that abortion care is under attack, these other um, these other issues are also under attack. So it's just one more illustration of how completely disingenuous this effort is. So it's also on the uh, local level in school boards, parental consent or parental control. They're just euphemisms. And it's not only LGBTQ issues, it's, it's also about sexuality. And this mm -hmm. whole, and we, don't we know, there's a wonderful article in the science, um, uh, Science News, actually, where they are confronting the science of all of this. And there are issues that also have come up about um, the more information that young people have, uh, less it, it decreases domestic violence, homophobic violence, abortion needs because there are less pregnancies, unwanted pregnancies. So there's just all these different levels. Um, is that, oh, just do a little business here before we uh, follow up on that. Um, if you have just tuned in, this is the Healthy Options Program here on WERU Community Radio. I'm Rhonda Feynman. We're speaking with Lindsay Piper and Marisa Weil from Maine Family Planning. And we are discussing all sorts of things related to uh, family planning and, and good health care here in the state. So is that something that Maine Family Planning need main family planning um, works with in terms of education? How, how would that work as a clinician, Lindsay, and then also in the community? Uh, we'll, we'll get both of you in on this. Lindsay, tell me about the education. Are you working with young people on this, on these issues? Yeah. I mean, when, when patients come in to see me for um, their health care, I, I have the opportunity to do a great amount of education, um, which is part of why I went into this field, why I love my job. Um, and we also work with our local high school educators, some junior high educators, um, health health teachers who are bringing students in for kind of a field trip to our clinic um, to learn about our services and to be able to ask their questions. I have an anonymous question box so that kiddos can write down their maybe sometimes embarrassing questions about bodies and puberty and sex and sexuality. Um, and so um, 
one thing that I always think about from my education is um, I really like the World Health Organization's definition of sexuality. Um, so sexual health is not only it's a state of physical, emotional, mental and social well-being related to sexuality. And it's not just merely the absence of disease, dysfunction or infirmity. And so um, I really uh, imagine that we are providing a sex positive approach, um, which is also just affirming to the normalness of having a human body. I mean, we are sexually reproducing, reproducing beings. And so um, this is something that touches all of our lives, whether or not we're active um, sexually, we have all come from that place. And so it seems to me only natural to have as much um, ownership over knowledge about your body and how it works as possible. And Maurice's exactly um, on the nose about that being the thing that prevents most poor outcomes when it comes to violence or illness um, or unplanned pregnancy. Um, the, the more information people are equipped with, the better um, opportunity they have to be making informed decisions about how to conduct their lives and the decisions that they make with regard to their health. So, were you so yeah, I love to work with the kids in our community. And they're asking the questions, right? And they're oh, they they're sure really are. Know. They they certainly are, and a lot a lot of them. Gosh, I, you know, we um we have some pretty thoughtful youth um in our midst, and I have been so excited to be tuning in. Um, you know, the Belfast area high school students not only led um, a pro-abortion rally recently, which was so amazing, um, really good turnout, and um just the energy from those high schoolers was amazing. They also um, organized the, um, the uh, sex and gender um, club organized Belfast has pride and what a huge turnout. It was amazing. And we just kind of marched down the streets and the kids were so awesome. So listening to our youth is key because not only are they coming out with great big energy, they have, they're more worldly and it seems that they grasp these issues um, more easily than um, those before us and those in our generation. Um, And, you know, yeah, I love to listen to these people. They have thoughtful questions and a lot to offer. Yeah, and I would love to just jump in briefly, Rhonda, if I may, and lift up the work of our prevention education department. Um, We have been very active, Maine Family Planning has been very active in sexuality education, comprehensive sexuality education in the state for decades. Uh, We are have definitely played a role in uh, the decrease in unplanned uh, teen pregnancies over the decades. Uh, We've made incredible progress there. Um, But I would also say that this is not an incredibly well-funded area for our state and nationwide. Uh, The prevention education program had some significant cuts uh, a couple decades ago that dramatically shrunk the the amount of staff that could be engaged in that, and it hasn't really grown back. So it's a small but mighty program that works with K through 12 educators throughout the state, all over from Fort Kent up in the county to down east to western Maine. Um, so working with educators and youth serving organizations all over the state, delivering uh, best practices curricula on comprehensive sexuality education. And I want to lift up a lot of what they teach. Comprehensive sexuality education is age appropriate. 
it. And so a lot of what people think of when they think of sex ed is the very like, you know, the functions of sex and pregnancy prevention and things like that. But what comprehensive sexuality education looks like um, at early ages is um, bodily autonomy, Mm -hmm. consent, um, knowing the proper names for your body and being able to express, you know, when you are not comfortable with something. We've made so much progress as a society um, in terms of encouraging young people to speak out. And comprehensive sexuality education is actually a method that can be used to prevent child abuse. And so it's been incredibly upsetting to see this language being thrown around um, from some people about uh, grooming or sexuality educators. I can't imagine anything more offensive to a person who has dedicated their life to comprehensive sexuality education than to face the uh, insults and slurs and attacks that they are on the receiving end of right now, when all they are trying to do is set young people up to be healthy, to be autonomous, to be comfortable, to be able to advocate for themselves and for their bodies and for their families. So I just absolutely want to lift up the work that our team there does. It's absolutely incredible and so vital. And it's a it's an area where we have room to grow here in Maine too, in terms of you know what we require in the classroom. So uh, it is a local issue. So are are, are you we seeing any school board issues coming up here in Maine? Or do we not know that? Or is that something we have to look at and make sure people go to the meetings and make sure that things stay uh, uh, accessible for, for kids age appropriate? Oh, people should absolutely be going to those school board meetings because right now in Maine, um, schools are required to teach sex education through their course on comprehensive family life education. Um, but currently, you know, it's not required to be comprehensive. It should emphasize abstinence. So there is some room to grow in our legislative protections for sexuality education here in the state. And that's certainly something that Maine Family Planning is actively looking at in ways that we can improve, um, you know, our rights here in the state and how we're looking out for folks. What, what are you seeing, uh, 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 Lindsay, in, in the clinic? Is, are people cons- is there more fear? Is, are you picking up more stress, anxiety? What What are you seeing mm-hmm. in in terms of the of your clientele? Probably a, a good a reflection mm-hmm. of the whole society. But you get as a clinician to see it firsthand. Yeah, but absolutely, Rhonda. Um, we are hearing from patients. Maybe even the um, fear that they no longer can seek abortion care here in Maine. So we've been, you know, working to correct that. Um, and people are thinking about their future with, you know, their family planning, um, plans and do they get an IUD now and, um, you know, in sort of preparation for potential changing a political landscape. Um, I've had folks coming in um, in higher numbers um, than even before um, seeking vasectomy services um, because a lot of um, folks with those body parts are um, noticing, gosh, you know, I have something that I can do here um, in light of all of this. And so um, we are seeing more folks seeking that service. Um, Um, So people are definitely responding um, in various ways, whether it's to be proactive or to, um, you know, being fearful or having misinformation. I know a lot of our queer Q plus LGBTQ patients um, are also keeping their eyes on the landscape because, um, as Marisa has indicated, 
um, those rights and access to health care for those folks is also being targeted. And so I think if um, folks are already feeling a little bit marginalized or vulnerable um, because of lack of acceptance in their family or in their communities, um, people are very worried that they will not be able to receive the health care that they need. Um, and so folks are just responding in a bit of a traumatized way um, because of the continued attacks on um, bodily autonomy that have been, um, you know, present culturally and even more so in the last um, five years. So, um, yeah, I'm fielding a lot of just general fear and, um, you know, concern about what is coming down the pike for patients and what they can expect and will their rights be uh, respected and will they be received well um, by healthcare providers? Will they be turned away um, for a gender identity issue or, um, you know, something of the like? So yeah, pe people are asking lots of questions. And, and since you two really are on the, uh, the front lines, as, as we say, and you are enlisting, enlisting all of us uh, to join you, how are you taking care of yourselves? What are, what are you doing to, <laughs> to, uh, you know, to, to keep yourself uh, in, in, this, uh, in the good fight, as it were? Any, that's, any that's a great and sensitive and thoughtful question. question. Yes. <laughs> yeah, Rhonda. Lindsay, I'll let yes, you go and first. Doctors. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, what, what a lovely question. What can we do question, to help? Yeah. <laughs> um, gee, I, I should probably find a, a local acupuncturist, right? No. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm sure um, there's one yeah, all over somewhere. the country. There are many of us yeah. all over the country. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, gosh, I, um, I really lean hard on my family. Um, and my loving community that I've built. Um, you know, I exercise with my friends a lot. We, we spend as much time outside in our garden and enjoying the beauty of Maine, whether it's hot or cold. Um, and, you know, just moving my body and getting good rest and being around people who are doing this work together. And I think a lot of um, what we talk about now together is um, sharing joy. Um, and so even in spite of the fact that these things are happening, we're finding the moments that um, we can laugh together or jump on the bed or do silly dancing with our kids or, you know, just those little beautiful moments that um, are, you know, why are we doing this? We're doing this so that every human can have beautiful moments of joy. Um, I mean, and that's the point of why we're doing the social justice work. Um, and so for us to be taking those moments for ourselves. And, you know, I want my kids to grow up knowing that you can be a powerful activist who still does lots of laughing at home too. So yeah, that's something that I'm paying a lot of attention to. Yeah, absolutely. I resonate with so much that Lindsay just said. I think, um, you know, really deepening your connection to place and community right now. We live in Maine. It's gorgeous. We can go to the beach. We can frolic through the fields of wildflowers. You know, we can sit next to our friends on a bench and, you know, share the sound of the waves. And so really just tapping into those moments is so important. And, you know, looking to the leadership of Black and Indigenous community members, too, who have been um, 
at the forefront of all of our movement work for so long and have so much to teach us about, you know, self-care and rest, thinking about the words of bell hooks and the importance of love, um, really just tapping into the wisdom of leaders who, you know, know more than I do is something that I have been spending some time with to, you know, sustain myself. Maintaining that level of, of hope and, and, Staying in, in, in awe as as well. If people have been listening to the, to our programs, we've uh, we uh, here on Healthy Options. Uh, there's been a lot of uh, of attention spent on how to deal with heartbreak and trauma. And one of the big takeaways was community service. Florence Williams will teach us about giving and being active, and also to remember that there is awe to look at the bigger the bigger picture. I just, if you have just tuned in, by the way, I'm Rhonda Feynman. You're listening to the Healthy Options Program on WERU Community Radio. And we are speaking with Lindsay Piper, who is the nurse practitioner and lead, a nurse practitioner and also lead clinician for the Center for Reproductive Health at Maine Family Planning. And Marisa Weil, who is the Vice President for Development and Community Engagement at Maine Family Planning. Uh, Marisa, we how how are you engaging with the, the the community? How do we get other others involved in this and educate people about this this work? What 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 are you doing for that? Well, Rhonda, I mean, a lot of it is what you're doing right now. Um, I think one of the most foundational and fundamental things that people can do right now that want to help and want to increase their engagement is to spend some time doing research and being the most well-informed, the most knowledgeable citizens that we can be about everything that's going on right now, about the landscape of abortion from a medical, a policy, a legislative standpoint. Um, at every rally I've gone to over the last you know, month or so, I tell people, know where your local clinic is, know where the closest place is where people can receive abortion care and what type of abortion care and through how many weeks gestation, know the difference between emergency contraception and abortion pills, um, know what the legislative protections are in your state, um, know where the abortion funds are. That's something that a lot of people might hop over in their eagerness to jump in and help. And it's really foundational. It's the best thing that I think anyone can do if you're just kind of really starting to deepen your awareness and activism in this space is to spend some time doing some research and becoming the most knowledgeable person that you can. And then from there, also amp up your communication about this subject. Talk to people about it. Be be public, be vocal, that you are someone who supports abortion care, who supports sexual and reproductive health. Talk about it in your uh, knitting circles, in your faith groups, um, at your uh, reading clubs. Talk about it, talk about it, talk about mm -hmm. it, post it on your social networks, because you don't know when you might be the person someone will trust with their needs or their story might be. So be out there, be open, be, be vocal about it. And that's something that everyone can can do. It doesn't take uh, financial resources. It doesn't take a ton of time. People can do that and they can start there. And then from there, if you are really like, all right, you're like, I've aced this level. I am expert level. I am an advocate. I am, I'm knowledgeable. I know where my, my local clinic is. Um, maybe the next step that you might be able to do 
is to offer your local clinic or abortion fund some support. Setting up a recurring donation to your local clinic or your local abortion fund, even if it's a $5 a month, you know, monthly donation is a huge, is a huge effort. That's a huge gift that you can make to sustaining these services for people that need them. So if that's something that's within your uh, ability to do, I highly recommend doing that because those recurring monthly donations, it's really a set it and forget it thing. And people tend to, to give more over time than if they just made one gift um, and then they move on and they forget about it. So that kind of consistent support, but really being advocates in the community, invite us to those knitting groups and those library events and to your faith group and invite us to come and talk to you because we would love to do that. We love nothing more than to go and talk about reproductive justice, sexual and reproductive health and rights. Uh, we love it. We love being invited. We love being in community with y'all. All it takes is an email you know, to us. You can go to our website, Maine Family Planning. You can contact us through there. Um, you can contact the other abortion providers uh, that I mentioned earlier, Planned Parenthood of Northern New England, Mabel Wadsworth Center. Reach out to us and ask us to, you know, come and join you at your next community gathering. So those are some really tangible, practical ways, um, but really doing, doing the work to kind of be the most knowledgeable advocate that you can is a great place for people to start. And so I want to thank you so much for having us on the program. Of, of today. course, we, we just have about two minutes left. And um, yeah, you started the program. And for those who may have missed that, we were talking about how important it is, um, uh, the upcoming midterm elections here in Maine and, and throughout the uh, the country as well. So um, it's, it's very, very important because the rights that we have in law right now are not in our main constitution. So that's uh, an important uh, thing to remember. Lindsay, what's needed on, in your clinic? What's needed in, in addition to what uh, Marissa has just said in our last minute or so? Is there, you know, where you're seeing people now, you're probably seeing more people because as we said, because people are coming in from other states, what, what other supportive efforts are needed on your level? Yeah, I like the idea of just um, being well informed and being vocal and having conversations with your family members and community members about sexual and reproductive health and asking questions of knowledgeable providers. Um, and, you know, just start talking about it. I think sending money to funds is excellent. And I think, you know, if you are a person with private insurance, come on over to one of our health centers and come get your yearly wellness visits with us. We sure could use we sure could use that and your support and <laughs> we'll take great care of you. <laughs> there you go. Okay. I think we're, uh, we're, I cannot believe it. We're out of time. It happens every, every month where uh, things go so quickly. Our guests today on healthy options have been Lindsay Piper and Marisa Weil from Maine Family Planning. Thank you so much for being here with us on healthy options, mainefamilyplanning.org for more information. They do have some really interesting, very long resource list and a lot of the things that we talked about will be um, listed on our archival website as well. So you can find links to the show and other information, as I said, that was mentioned, as well as our previous interviews on the Public Affairs Archive for Healthy Options at weru.org. Thanks to Joel Mann, Amy Brown of WERU for engineering support, to Petra Hall for production assistance. And as always, thank you all of our, all of you, all of our WERU listeners and supporters. And this is Rhonda Feynman. I'm wishing you the best in health. <laughs>